Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Growth League. I'm Diana Kander, a Midwestern mom of two and keynote speaker. And like you, I feel the call to grow. To get us inspired for the week, every Monday, I seek out the most remarkable and curious women leaders and uncover their rule for growth. This week's rule from Kenya Williams is don't take things too personally. This episode is brought to you by Influence & Co. To find out how Influence & Co. can help you create relevant content, get more leads, improve your website's SEO, and drive exposure for your brand, go to influenceandco.com slash growth. My guest today is Kenya Williams. Kenya is a managing director and product specialist at Oak Trees Real Estate Strategies. She started her career at Wells Fargo, became a senior vice president by 30, and hasn't slowed down since. Though Kenya has been working in the corporate world for 18 plus years, she briefly dabbled in the life of being an entrepreneur. And a fun fact about her is that she is ambidextrous. Kenya, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, baby. Tell me about your ambidexterosity. Is it something that you developed as a kid? Is it something that you practice today? Um, yeah, so I, I guess I was born this way. Um, so it's interesting. I I forget that I am. People notice it sometimes because I'm what I eat and I write left-handed. I do everything else right-handed. So it's always it's the most annoying thing because when I'm at dinners, especially a lot of formal dinners I go to for work and they have these big formal place settings, because I'll grab whatever is convenient, I always take people's drinks and their knives and forks because I don't think my brain doesn't think about it. And I'd like make myself stop and not like touch people's stuff because whatever's if one hand's busy, I'll just do it with the other hand. So um, it's very convenient for blow drying one's hair because you don't get as tired. <laughs> I love it. Well, how did you get to where you are? Tell, tell us the, the, the brief story. So today I am a managing director and kind of he- I'm head of investor relations and I would say um, fundraising for the real estate private equity platform at a company called Oak Tree. For me, I actually do like the corporate world a lot, but I really had to reframe how I looked at the world and how I interacted in corporate America and what I expected of it. And I was fortunate that when I decided I was going to come back in, um, I had a, a couple great opportunities that came up pretty quickly. And the opportunity here, which is completely um, a 180 from what I'd ever done, uh, just came up because, you know, people said you have a certain skill set that could be applied to this job. And I think it would work really well because you have sales experience and you have team management experience and you understand being in front of clients. And so it's been a great fit so far. Um, But I will say, you know, it really did take a bit of a, a, a shift in my mindset because corporate America is a tough place to be. People burn out of it a lot, especially for women and underrepresented minorities. It's even harder and but I feel very strongly that it's a really good place to be if you can come at it with the right point of view. Well, let's talk about that burnout. What was it about corporate America that you feel like was too much? 
the work is really intense. The demands are very intense. And then in the part of my career up until now, I was always the only woman on my team. I was always the only uh, person of color on my team. And not only on my team, but for most of the places that I worked in the entire country, in my business, I would be the only person of color um, or I'd be one of a couple women. So it's a very, very isolating place to be in that sense when you're trying to do well and, and work really hard and you think you want to put all the effort in. But things become very personal because you feel a little bit like exposed and a little bit vulnerable when you're the, when you don't have any perceived camaraderie around you. And I work with fantastic people, but there's just that kind of like mental tax, I guess people call it a lot of times, or burden. You want your work to count. You want to do really well, but you always have to ask yourself when things go wrong, like, was it about me or was it about the work? But that, that kind of, well, I'll say taking things very, everything very, very personally contributed to me just being completely burned out. And also giving a lot more, expecting you get a lot out of it. And people, and, and people don't give you back the effort that you put in. It like you get, you, you get upset and you think like they don't care about me or they don't value me. When the real answer is like, no one really asked you to do it. You decided to put that effort in. And then when you weren't rewarded for it, you got upset about it. And so there's a very much a thing about making sure the work that you do is valued. And if people don't value the work, then don't do it. So all that kind of combined over years and years and years, I was just like, you know, I don't, I never feel valued. I'm putting all this work and I'm not getting rewarded for it. I think I should be more senior than I am at this point in my career. I should make more money than this part in my career. And, you know, people just, no one, no one cares about me a little bit. It was kind of my mentality. And, um, and so I'll go be an entrepreneur. I'll do it myself. And, and being an entrepreneur has a whole different set of challenges <laughs> that are like, I think 10x than what though I was, I was dealing with, you know, I was my own IT person, my own ad, my own HR. I spend the first eight hours a day doing the job and the next six hours trying to actually run the business um, and making very little money doing it too. And so I realized that if I could, you know, change, like I said earlier, if I could change how I saw things and how I put effort in and what I expected out of it and how I communicated my expectations, I have a different experience. And that's what I think I've had today. I have a very different experience than I had in my previous roles. And I, 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 I hired an executive coach. I spent a year of like doing a lot of work kind of on myself and making sure that I had the right mindset and the right kind of uh, point of view and coming back into corporate America. So usually people go to like coaching or, or therapy for one thing and they end up getting something else. Was that experience? Did you did you feel like you needed like this problem to be solved and then you learned so much more about yourself? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, to bring my coach <laughs> on here, she'd, she'd have a world of things to say. Um, yeah, so, you know, what I realized was I kept trying to put in a ton of effort hoping to get a better result. And I go to a new, I leave a company because they didn't value me. And I go to a new company and I do it again. And then I get to the point where I'm like, well, I keep doing this action and it keeps yielding the same result. And I want a different result. So like, maybe I'm doing something wrong, right? <laughs> maybe it's like, maybe the problem, maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> and so when I got my coach, I said to her, I have all this desire and energy and skill and talent and I'm doing all these things, but I don't feel like I'm getting the value out of it. What she would say is like, you need to give yourself what you want from people. 
first, right? So my whole thing is that like, if I don't feel like I'm being acknowledged or recognized for my work, then I get really upset or I get my feelings hurt about stuff and it makes me not want to be at a place. And her point was, well, are you asking to be recognized? Are you telling people what you're doing? Are you managing expectations around what you want out of this? And I was like, no, I just, I just hope that they surprise me with a raise. <laughs> and she's like, that's not how the world works. So if you show up and say, I'm going to work hard, but this is my expectation, people will decide to either rise to the occasion or tell you they can't do it. There, there should be nothing unsaid as far as what your expectations are and your role, because no one can read your mind. And your bosses, if you, you would hope they could be the most caring, thoughtful, nurturing people in the world. But the majority of the time, that's not the case. And it's because they're not equipped for it. They're not, they're not rewarded for it. And they have their own things that they're worrying about in their own careers and their own processes and their own lives every single day. So it sounds like a portion of it is communication up front. A portion is like self-talk, you, you know, how you expect this situation to go. Yeah. And then maybe a portion of it is some, some post chat <laughs> <laughs> yeah. about some self-compassion about why it didn't go as bad as maybe you thought it did. You know, they always say that you're the most leverage when you come into a new role, right? Because that's what one really wants you to come in. And I know, and I've seen it and I've experienced it, that when people start negotiating for a new role, they automatically start to cut back what they really want in the job. Maybe they want more money. Maybe they want more hours. And what they start to do is talk themselves out of what's important to them. Or they have, there's some red flags that come up and they kind of ignore them because they really, really want a new job or they want this one part. And when they do that, you walk into the door disappointed because you didn't speak up for what you really wanted. And then everything that happens after that is working off of you already not feeling valued because you didn't ask for what you really wanted. If someone approaches you for a job, you feel like the bell of the ball because like someone's like, I want you, like, I want you to come work for me. And you get a little enamored and you start putting your blinders on because like, oh, they really, really want me. I want to go. You should always look for another job at the same time because it gives you perspective. And then when you know you're not locked into one opportunity, you ha you're more willing to negotiate and push and lever people when you've got another option. Because once you get in the job, you've agreed to the terms and no one cares that you didn't really want that or you didn't really want to agree to that. I think you're describing like a very common problem solving tool that people use, which is like they have a problem and then they come up with a solution and then they focus all their energy on thinking whether that one solution is right or not, instead of saying, well, what else could we do? And that one small amount of effort up front can significantly improve your options and how you see the world and the results that you get. Have you been caring for yourself lately? Whether it's taking longer baths, going on evening strolls, or indulging in midday naps, pair your self-care ritual with Calm and take your wellness to the next level. The Growth League is partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way that you feel. Reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improve focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. There's even a new daily movement session designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. If you go to calm.com slash growth, 
you'll get a special offer for 40% off a Calm premium subscription, and new content is added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, and Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. As a small business owner, you're juggling 100 balls in the air and don't have time to interview candidates who just are not qualified for your role. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier for you to find the people that you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Then add your job in the purple hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so that your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so that you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com TGL. That's linkedin.com slash TGL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Is there some kind of checklist that you go through to help take a situation not personally? Yeah. So this is this is a, a tool that I've gotten from my coach that I do. Usually if I find myself replaying something that happened. So if I go into a meeting and I put an idea out there and it gets like shot down or it gets ignored. Right. And you're, and then like, you know, my mind's always going. So it's like, Oh, well, you know, if you're a woman, it's four times out of you know nine, a man's going to say the same idea you said, and then they're going to get credit. You won't get credit. So like all the men don't respect you in the room. Like that's where my mind goes. Right. And so, so what I do, I say, okay, okay. Like what happened? And I go, I, th- I had an idea. It was ignored and someone else repeated it. And I say, what did it make you feel like? What was your immediate thought that in that situation that they don't respect me and that no one listens to what I have to say? And then I go, what did I make it mean about me? And I have to go that I'm not valuable in the organization. But what actually happened? I said something and no one responded and someone else said something and someone responded. That's what actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> And you go, oh, no one attacked you. <laughs> like, and, and but so what you realize is that the part that hurts is the part that you, where you made it mean something about you because it happened. And so then like, what would you do in the future? You know, you'd circle back around and you say something about it. But it, it, what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that you're not valuable. It doesn't mean that you didn't have a good idea. It just means in that situation, you didn't get acknowledged for it. And the person who did it or who spoke over you likely didn't know if they did it. Right. That's also the case. And so there's all these, so there's, so there's that kind of checklist up front where you got to talk to yourself. And then sometimes you do have to circle back to the person and say, Hey, I don't think you meant anything by it, but like I had that idea first and then you just said it and you probably didn't realize it happened, but that was really the concept I brought up and discussed at length. And then you just kind of like took it over, like, you know, and so you have to find these ways to kind of deal with these situations, but you have, you have to show yourself a lot of grace and the grace you're showing yourself is honoring your, that you are upset, that you have some feelings about it. And then the other person grace, because most of the time, the person didn't know they were doing what you thought they were doing, or they were embarrassed, or maybe they did and they were embarrassed and didn't know how to say anything about it, right? But you create the opportunity and the communication to resolve something, and then also to build more relationship with someone. 
and they're uncomfortable conversations, but like, if you want to continue in any, in any relationship in your life, you got to get comfortable having some uncomfortable conversations because I find that whenever I have them, the outcome is always so much better than I expected. Would you say that the more uncomfortable conversations you have in a job, the more in, you enjoy it? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It feels like a counterintuitive math problem. I feel, oh, I will say the more, the, the more uncomfortable conversations I'm willing to have, the happier I am in the job overall. It's powerful. Can you, how do you feel about doing a good job at the role you've been given versus managing your career? Oh, I, I think it's 50, 50. Okay. I think it's 50, 50. We all know the person who is crappy at their job, but great at managing their career. And that person nine, 10 out of 10 is gets ahead of the person who's really good at their job and bad at managing their career. Right. So you could argue that managing your career is more important than the work that you do. But I will say that I, I think in on the whole, if you want to continue to can grow and be respected amongst your peers and have a good experience, then it's 50-50. I've always said to people, especially people coming out of college and their first jobs, that networking and building relationships in your organization is half of your job. A, a friend of mine is very senior in an organization. She and I were having lunch and she was lamenting that she had a new crop of analysts on her team and there were two guys and there were two women and that the two women, everyone did good work. Everyone's very smart, but the two women every single day came into the workplace, worked all day, sat at their cubicles. They went to the gym at lunch, ate lunch at their desk and then left at the end of the day. Great work. The two men did good work, came in, would always pop in and say hello, just chat for a little bit go to lunch with me, like, you know, hang around, even if, they, even if they're a little bit bothersome, but they're always just kind of like just, just shooting the breeze with me. And she's like, I feel more comfortable advocating for these two guys than these two women because I know them more. I've actually spent more time with them because when it comes to the room, you know, when it just, when people always wonder like, what these decisions are made about compensation and promotions and what, what it really is, is you have to get in a room and the person has to, the, the manager or whoever has to advocate and put their neck out for a person. That re, so the relationship that you have is as important as the work that you do, because most people do pretty good work. But if people don't feel comfortable advocating for you, if they don't feel they know you that well, that's the part that people, a lot of people who just want to work, 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 miss in, in this equation and, and how you do that, I always say to people, is when you come into an organization, you go wide, not narrow. You know, do you make friends with the nurses or do you only talk to the doctors? I think that's probably a better way of saying it. If you spend time getting to know people who are throughout the organization who help get the job done, you build relationships that bubble up when those conversations happen in those rooms, because the head of your group has relationships beyond your, their vertical and they talk to people. And so it gets, it, you can be, you can get a reputation for yourself, good or bad, based on how well you can navigate that situation. That's how you build a chorus around you. And 
so you have more than one voice in a room or you people have heard about things going well or she helped me on this project or she volunteered for this initiative or whatever it is, spend the time as part of your networking 50% building relationships throughout your organization with junior people, with support staff, with peers, because they do have voices and those, those voices do kind of trickle up over time. I love the idea of building a choir around you, a chorus around you. Okay, time for the speed round. Kenya, are you ready? Sure, let's do it. Do you have any advice on setting boundaries at work? Yes. So, so establishing boundaries is super important, obviously, for your own well-being. I kind of say like test the boundary. So, what you want to do is you want to push hard enough to you get like, hey, don't do that, and then you go, okay, okay, that's that boundary, and then it's kind of like a little bit of ask for forgiveness, not permission, and you go, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't know that, and then you self-correct and you kind of created your boundary line. So an example of that is that I'm very adamant about vacations. Like I'm on vacation, leave me alone. And if everyone understands what's going on, people will fall in line and people will not bother you on vacation, but you have to communicate up front the expectation and people will respect it. Uh, That's so counterintuitive, but I I love it. I can't wait to shout to everyone about going on vacation. Talk about your trip. They'll know, like, hey, I'm leaving in a month. I'm going to be gone soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> I, people, will get, people know exactly what I, where I've been when I'm back because I've actually been gone and I don't answer emails for the two weeks yeah. I've gone. So. What is a commonly held belief that you know to be false? Like, what's something that everybody believes to be true but you know isn't right? That your work matters more than your relationships. It doesn't. It's not merit-based. It really isn't. It's the, the worst-kept secret in corporate America and all things. <laughs> People care about relationships. People want to know they can rely on you, that they can count on you. They can they they want to spend time with you, that you're trustworthy. Um, and you can probably be an average in terms of the quality of work and a really great relationship and have a really successful career because people want to be around you. What is something that you strongly believed in your 20s that you feel completely indifferent about or even opposite about now? That being a manager is the easiest job <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I used to watch my managers like, oh, they get to go play golf tournaments and they get to go to dinners and they just travel and socialize. They don't actually do any real work. Sometimes the money I would pay to sit down and just work on a, on a finance model all night, it, it, the ease, <laughs> the, the peace of mind that it would bring me. Um, you do, you, the, 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 as you get more senior, you get paid more because you deal with more strategic stuff and the work is harder. What is something that you think people get wrong about setting goals for their career? Uh, people don't dream big enough. Tell me more. They, they again, guilty of this. Like I, I, in my 20s, I'm like, I want to be, I want to get to be a senior vice president by the time I'm 30 because when you're a senior vice president, you get all the flexibility and you get to kind of like, you know, map your own way. And it was too small of a goal. I got there when I was 30 on the dot practically which is ahead of the curve for most people. But then I didn't have anything else I was working on. And like, kind of, it kind of like threw me in a bit of a crisis that I hadn't like aimed for something more. And so people think that it's a bit audacious to dream big, but like, I wish at 20, I said, I want to be a CEO by 30. That's what I should have said. And that's the goal I should have been working towards. Because even if I missed it, I would have been a lot further along in my career than I am today. And that's my goal now. I want to be a CEO. That's, that's, the, that's the long-term goal for me. And then also um, it, once you set your goals, So not to be dogmatic about them, but to don't do things that are not in in pursuit of the goal. So it's very easy day to day to get caught up in the small stuff, to get offended by the small things. But a lot of times when I'm looking at a situation, I go to myself, 
will I care about this in a year? And if the answer is no, I let it go. And so you have to kind of make sure that you are recalibrating constantly in service of your goal and that the, the, the things that you choose to take on in terms of your workload, the battles you, t- you want to wage in terms of where you want to spend your political capital need to be in pursuit of the goal. And to be a little flexible, too, because goals do move around and sometimes they can go different direction, but still end up even better than you anticipated. Kenya, thank you so much for your time. No problem. This is awesome. So many great insights and just pieces of wisdom from Kenya to help me dive deeper into it is our newest producer, Alex John Burns. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Diana. I'm excited to be here for my first time. I'm excited to have you. Uh, I love putting you in, into these positions because you you say such great things each time. So, Alex, do you have any hot takes or insights from the Kenya interview? Yeah, I mean, I think Kenya had a lot of great wisdom to share. I think for me, one of the big takeaways as someone who growing up, I really did take everything so, so personally. Like, I feel like I was that kid who, like, if the teacher said anything, it wasn't even like yelling at me, but just a slight negative comment. I was like crushed for maybe the rest of the week. And so I think hearing what Kenya had to say about just not taking these things too personally and like zooming out a little bit and thinking about maybe what the actual intention was behind that was really helpful to hear. Yeah. And I think that this insight can apply just as much to positive things that people say to us. Like, I think a really great way to get practice on not taking things too personally is when you get really positive feedback, because a lot of that could be coming from where they are. And again, from that zoomed out perspective, could have a lot to do with with luck or other factors. And so if you're just focused on your performance and being happy with how you did and doing the best possible job you can do and kind of discounting the super highs, uh, the lows won't sting as much, right? You won't be as invested in other people's opinions of you. They are not as important as how you feel about your own efforts. Yeah, that's really true. Diana, are there any like examples of a time where you feel like you took something too personally or something got to you? You know, my very first job I was a summer associate at a law firm and I had a female mentor for the summer and I overheard her in a meeting at the end of the summer telling other people at the firm not to hire me. And boy, I was just crushed. And, you know, when I zoomed out and got a little bit of a perspective on that situation, I think part of it had to do with the fact that this person had caught her husband cheating and was going through a horrible divorce that summer. And that was the summer I was planning my wedding to my husband. And like, that is a topic of conversations that happen frequently. And I feel like, like that played into it. You know, it wasn't just the fact that it was my first professional job after working in restaurants for like eight years. I mean, also that had something to to do with it. But there was just a lot of extenuating circumstances that contributed to the situation. And having that, I mean, I took it very personally for <laughs> for some time, but the more space I had from it, the more perspective I could get and the more I could figure out what I actually needed to work on and what I could discount as something that had nothing to do with me. Yeah, wow, that sounds pretty intense. I mean, 
If I heard someone say that about me, I would definitely take that personally. Yeah, not show up ever again. No, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, you, we got to keep on going. Like, there's no other option. There's no quitting yeah. in this business. So you might as well do your best and listen to feedback when it is of value and learn to see when it has really nothing to do with you. Thank you again to Influence & Co. for sponsoring the show. If you're looking for resources to build a results-driven content marketing strategy, I highly recommend checking out Influence & Co.'s content marketing course. With promo code GROWTH, our listeners can get access to the course for 50% off. Visit influenceandco.com slash growth to learn more. That's it for this week's episode of The Growth League. This is the last episode of the season, so there won't be a new episode next week. But if you're looking for more growth content, you can follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm at Diana Kander. Thanks so much for listening and have an amazing growth-filled week. The Growth League is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Edie Allard, Adesua Agbanile, and Taylor Williamson. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our editor is Emily Rudder. <laughs>